Welcome to the Movies to Watch Before You Die podcast. My name is Gab, and I'm here with my cousin and co-host. Dylan. And we are breaking form today, Dylan. We're going to be talking about a movie that coming in, we both already agreed was a movie to watch before you die. But before we get into all the ways we're going to break the mold today, Dylan, tell the nice people out there why they're listening to us. Well, you're listening to us because I was a former video editor. Gab was a former actress. We both know this craft well, and we both love movies like I hope you do, dear listener. Now, Gab, I realize I also stepped over the thing you normally say about why they're listening to you. So how should we No, continue? it was perfect. It, let's continue. I don't need to say that. You said it perfectly. Um, so, Dylan, this is a movie that came up in conversation on our previous episode. And it came up um, because we were talking about the... Oh, maybe... Actually, this may have come up in a mail segment a long time ago. But either way, we were talking about when Birdman won the Oscar. Yes. And that it beat this film for um, best, best movie picture. of the year. Best picture. Best movie of the year. I'm talking like it's the Kids' Choice Awards. Um, MTV Best Kiss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tobey Maguire. Um, so it's a movie that we both love. It is a movie that we immediately both said yes, this is a movie to watch before you die. So today we're going to be talking about it through a different lens than normal because we're not debating whether or not it's a movie to watch before you die. So um, without further ado, today we are talking about the, ooh, 2015? So close, 2014. 2014 runner-up best picture, Whiplash. Dylan, before we get into uh, the obvious why don't you tell the people what this movie is all about? What's this all been about? What am I working toward? You think you know everything about me, don't you? I die at your bottom. I bloody well ought to. What this movie is about is honestly very simple. And I think sometimes your best stories are your simplest stories. There are really only two characters that matter. Andrew and Fletcher. Neiman and Fletcher. Neiman wants to be one of the great drummers of all time. Fletcher is willing to do whatever it takes to have a student that is one of the greatest of all time. And it's basically each one of them trying to achieve their goals. And is it okay how they achieve their goals? Yeah. You, I don't believe you mentioned that Neiman is a drummer. Yeah. I don't think it really like, obviously it's important to the movie, but I think all that matters is a musician. Like, do I think it changes much if he turns into a trumpet player instead of a drummer? No. Oh, I you know didn't even I mean? realize you said musician. I'm sorry. Did I even say musician? I kind of don't think so, but it's okay. Um, when I listen back to this, I'm sure I'll be pissed off at myself because I'm either not committing to the fact that you didn't say it or I missed that you said it. But either way, it the, the movie takes place in a college, uh, like a musical conservatory. Fletcher is the professor for the highest level band. Neiman is a younger student who is interested in getting into the band. And essentially, um, their relationship kind of unfolds as... Fletcher kind of dangles a carrot in front of Neiman, Andrew Neiman. Yeah. Um, and you're quickly yeah. told the level of, you know, respect that Fletcher has, because when he walks in the room for the first time with Neiman, he says, you know who I am? And he clearly does. Um, I believe it's the Schaefer Conservatory of Music. I think it's supposed to be a stand in also somewhat for the school Juilliard. Yes. Which, yes. if you don't know what it is, it's one of the preeminent schools for music and acting and the arts. Um, should I get to what IMDb says the plot is of Whiplash? Please do. 
a promising young drummer enrolls at a cut-through music conservatory where his dreams of greatness are mentored by an instructor who will stop at nothing to realize a student's potential. Yeah. You want to hear the tagline? Oh, I guess. One tagline, the road to greatness can take you to the edge. Uh, okay. It's fine. Yeah, the edge feels like an action movie line. And a member of you too. Yeah. yeah, I think it should be the breaking point. I, I honestly, I did think of during this. You don't watch Succession, right? No. They had a line in the most recent episode, or it might have been like one or two weeks ago, where he says, "You're going to be walking a tightrope on a straight razor," and I was like, "That's such a like that's such a good you know." Wow. What's the word I'm looking for? Analogy, and I feel like that yeah. honestly is what this whole movie feels like. That like. Andrew is constantly on a tightrope of greatness or nothing. Wow. I love that. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I guess just to, to kind of like, you know, give a few spoilers and just let the people know what happens in this movie. Um, it's Which if very I can, quickly... before we do, oh, sure. the movie is on Amazon prime. If you have Amazon prime, which I feel like for some reason, everybody, everyone does, does or, you know, someone who does. You should definitely watch this movie. It's an hour and 46 minutes. It is worth it. And even if you don't care about like, he's a drummer in a jazz music class. I don't give a shit about jazz. And you know what? I'm enthralled during this movie. Yeah. 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 I had Corey watch it with me. He had not seen it. And um, Corey and I are athletes. We are obsessed with training and with getting better and being stronger. And he related to it so much just in terms of like, the effort that you put in to get better at your craft. Like you don't have to be a musician to relate to this. I think anybody who's ever wanted to be good at anything yes. can relate to this. Um, and it is phenomenal from start to finish. Also JK Simmons as Fletcher is the most like soul shattering, just scary, like, demonic figure but you can't help but respect him um he's just so phenomenal he's also like his performance is phenomenal the character is despicable like the character is constantly dragging people to the edge as the tagline says but he's also just cruel for the sake of cruelty at times um the movie is based on it was initially a short film which i don't know if you knew that Um, And when they filmed the initial short, which was like their proof of concept that the director could direct this type of movie and that like it could be interesting. It's that scene where we first see them in the core class where he ends up throwing the chair at Neiman. Mm -hmm. Um, And even before that, it shows the part where he kicks the student that he calls Elmer Fudd out of class. And it's this moment of great tension, which I feel like we're getting so deep into this before we've gotten into anything, but we're sort of breaking the mold anyway. He gets to this moment of he hears the class play and someone is out of tune and he is going through the sections and he is waiting to find out. And he finally gets to, I don't know, you know, brass or horns. I think it's the horns and they're out of tune. And he goes, here it is. And he goes to the last chair and he says, play for me. And he just is staring this kid in the face. He can't be more than a foot away from him. And he's going, are you out of tune? And he says, Yes, because he's just not sure by a point. 
He throws him the fuck out of class. And I think it's one of the cruelest fucking things I've ever seen. Once that kid leaves and he looks so fucking demoralized, he says, to tell the truth, he wasn't out of tune. You were Erickson, but it's he didn't know. And that's even worse. And it's like, yeah. oh, my God, like it lets you know pretty early on how fucking despicable this guy is. Yeah. I don't know why yeah. I just turned to Daffy Duck as I said that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> he um he plays with psychological warfare and he demands that you as a performer are so sure of yourself, but then he does things to make you completely unsure of yourself and then is angry when you are allowing him to manipulate you. Like it is there's just no winning. And it is so brutal and so hard to watch because you can you know what it feels like to want to impress someone or want to be good enough or want to succeed and when there's somebody the really the only person that you believe in your mind that can help you and get you where you want to be the only persons who who the only person whose approval matters they can kind of do whatever they want to you because you are just so invested in your own journey and your own success. And they really do feel like the only person that's kind of standing between you and that success. Yeah. It's, it's a, I'm not sure if that's something you want to discuss further, but I feel like it's a totally abusive relationship. And because he's the abuser, he wills this power of, I need your love. I need your approval. Um, But there's one quote that he gives that I also says a lot, like I think says a lot about him. He says, I was there to push people beyond what's expected of them. I believe it's an absolute necessity. And you know what? Like the moment he says it, you're like, yeah, that is totally, that fits everything that this guy's doing because he thinks that what he's doing is creating the next great musician. No matter how he's doing it, he's like, no, but I'm bringing greatness from someone. Yeah. Yeah. So really quickly, let's give like a, a quick rundown so that people, and again, watch this movie it is it's quick it's modern we're not asking you to watch something from the 70s um it is so 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 good um jk simmons won the oscar for best actor um supporting actor or actor? supporting actor oh it's a shame he should have won the actor but i understand um i understand he was well, that wasn't even a, a nomination but i'm just saying he he deserved it he was so 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 amazing and miles teller also phenomenal Yes, I definitely think that he's not as good. Like, I think J this is the J.K. Simmons show and everybody else is yeah. invited. Um, but I don't think any of the performances are bad. No, not at all. So essentially, um, here's here's kind of the rundown for those of you that need a reminder or who have decided they're not going to watch this. Um, and if you are going to watch it, fast forward. So basically, um, Andrew Neiman is playing in a practice room one day. He's working on his drumming. He's a very good drummer. Um, and the head honcho of the school that he is attending listens to him play and walks in, says, do you know who I am? He says, yes. And he goes, play this for me, play that for me. And then he says, play me double time swing, which is very, very fast. And, um, I, I believe he gives him a couple of notes or he says something to him and then he goes, why did you stop playing? So he well, starts no, playing he, again. He, oh, sorry. Go ahead. He says something to him. He says, um, why did you stop playing? And so he immediately starts playing again and he goes, why did you start playing? I asked you a question and your response was to just go spastic on the drum kit. And you'll notice that like Fletcher is very willing to be as un PC as it takes he uses the R word. He um, uses racial epitaphs. He is just constantly slurs. Willing to, yes. Whatever it takes to demean you. 
Um, I still feel like I'm like, I know we want to go over the plot, but I don't want to give away too much because I really feel like people should just watch this movie. Okay. Okay. So basically all you need to know is that he is using psychological warfare to, in, in his mind, get these kids to become fabulous musicians. And as you're watching it, you start to see that like, it is a, it is, it's a, a very um, abusive relationship. Yes. And the movie's told entirely from the point of point of view of Neiman um, in the sense so, that he's in every single scene. Yeah. 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 This is his, it's the story of his, it's, it's not necessarily about Fletcher. It's Fletcher's impact on his life. Yes. So before we get to our super obvious verdicts, let's just get the mail out of the way real quick. Mail time. When you control the mail, you control information. Mom asked me to ask you if there's any mail for us here by mistake. What? We've got two weeks worth of mail because we did not do mail on last week's episode. So we're going to start with some comments that we had on The Great Gatsby. Okay. Both of whom are from, both of whom? That doesn't sound right about the comments. Both of which are from Scotty Cameron. There it is. Scotty. I know movies. I don't know no grammar. <laughs> That's fine. Scotty said, I apologize for confusing Bruce Almighty with Evan Almighty. I won't make that mistake again. I was Good. a sophomore in high school when I first saw the Truman Show in my psychology class. I think the reason it didn't immediately occur to me that Truman was carrying was because the only movies I saw him in prior to that were The Grinch and Batman Forever. One of those movies, Carrie Batman had brought Forever. Steps. Yeah, he's the Riddler. Interesting. Movies... I don't think I knew that. What? You can't anyway, possibly listen. not know that. With with Har- uh, Harvey Harvey Lee Jones, was I about to say? With Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face? I don't even know who that is. Continue. You don't know who Tommy Lee Jones is? No, I know who Tommy Lee Jones is, you piece of shit. You don't, I don't know, know who Two-Face is. Two-Face is. I don't know which one's more ridiculous. <laughs> Anyway, this is not your Batman podcast, so let's keep it moving. Well, my Batman peeps will also think you're ridiculous for not knowing who Two-Face is. One of those movies, Carrie had prosthetics all over his face, and the other, he dyed his hair orange. So I always pictured Carrie having orange hair until I saw him in more movies. Well, okay. Scotty, we forgive you, but you gotta you gotta watch more Jim Carrey stuff. He's yeah. so good. I mean, I assume yeah. you have since that time, but watch more. Still, we gotta talk about the cable guy at some point. We definitely will do The Cable Guy at some point, because I still think that's a very underrated movie of his. It's just a shame that we both have seen it. We, I mean, we used to watch it together. That was a big, that was a big uh, time period in our lives. But anyway. I mean, I'm sure you've heard my mom's spiel a hundred times that it's a movie that needs to be watched three times, because each time you see it, it will get better and better. And I guess it reaches its apex on the third watch. Yes. So the second comment on The Great Gatsby, again from Scotty. Dylan, you almost got the Venmo story correct. I had $5 and I offered to give a dollar to Gab and Dylan, but Dylan, it feels weird talking about myself. I'm like the third person now, <laughs> but Dylan didn't want my money and told me not to give money to Gab. So he didn't Venmo me. No, he did Venmo you, but I apparently told oh. him not to. That's why my transfer to Gab was titled the bribe Dylan told me not to give you. Right. No, I will not be asking for that money back. I can't think of any good jokes about getting dollars back and boss Vegas and Sewer King are exhausting all the good nickelback and quarterback jokes. Good. You know what, Scotty? Bless no you for not making one of those. Yeah, thank you so much. I don't know why I almost became super Southern. I almost said, bless your heart, <laughs> which is yeah. like such a Southern thing to say, I feel like. Weird. Now let's get to Scotty's comment on last week's episode, Wait Until Dark. Okay. Great episode, guys. Thank you. I will have to wait until dark to watch this movie. Ah, that's clever. Ah, uh, Yeah. Okay, it's not that clever, I guess. I wasn't surprised when Daredevil was mentioned, but I'm surprised that Don't Breathe wasn't mentioned because that film turns the premise of Wait Until Dark on its head. Alfred being in this film is a plus for me. Do you know the movie Don't Breathe? No. 
it's not that long ago and i know they already made a sequel to it but these three people are like oh we're gonna break into this blonde guy's house and rob his house because for some reason he's got a bunch of money or something but it turns out the blonde guy is like almost super powerfully like he's jacked and evil like he's ready to murder the shit out of them oh yeah you, cool. you know that old thing where it's the blind guy situation but they're jacked you know right yeah of course yeah all the blind time. guy but he does crossfit <laughs> you know what i want to see that documentary again also just so people are clear um you can't see this obviously of course on the podcast but i am currently wearing a tank top that just says crossfit on it <laughs> And on the wall behind her, it just says CrossFit all day, every day. <laughs> it does not, but it could someday. It One could, more comment from Scotty, currently. a quickie. A bit of a life update here. I just had finals week, and I have earned a scholarship for my final semester of college. Oh, congratulations. A mazel tov to you, Scotty. And I've never been more Jewish. Yeah, but that's okay. Now we can get to some emails. Wait, that was it? That was all the comments. They were all Scotty. And and the last comment was just that he got a scholarship. Yeah, it was a little life update. Good for him. I mean, good for you. But what does it have to do with my podcast? He's a part. Of, he's our Jamie. He does our research for us. We got to okay. give him a research Listen. thing to do. Yeah, congratulations, Scotty. We're very proud of you. Um, cool. Okay. Gab's like, now that college is paid for, you can Venmo me more. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I'm like, now that you don't have any expenses. Okay, so let's get to our emails. We have four. They're all from Scotty. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the first one is from a different Scotty, Scott in Toronto. Hey. Did I say his last name on the podcast? You've said it before. It's fine. I say it. Yeah. Scott it's in Toronto. Right. It's We've fine. already talked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's on so many goddamn podcasts, and he's actually like a very successful individual. So I'm um, proud of him. Proud of how far he's come. Um, love him always. So he's anyway. put as the subject a sign of support. This is just a brief message to express my support for Dylan picking the Matrix for an upcoming episode. It's wild that Gab hasn't seen it. Thank you. You know, here's something that I want to say, and Scott, I hope you're listening. So much of who I am is a result of the time that he and I spent together, because realistically, we were pretty much attached at the hip from the time I was like 11 until 20, I would and he say. Apparently and those did are... not let you see any major movies during that time. No, no, no. But he's the reason why I've seen all of the... um First of all, he's the reason that I've seen that thing you do, which is honestly what the first movie that I picked. It he was? is the reason that I've seen all of the before, before midnight, before sunrise, before whatever, um, which I didn't care for. He <laughs> he has just like been probably the biggest influence on me just in my whole life, if I really had to say. And um, so I'm going to go ahead and put that on him that I've never seen The Matrix. We'll have to remedy at some point. He's right. Yeah. It's fine. It just feels like I've made it this far and nothing really has come up. So, you know, it's one of those movies, too, that by now you will already know so much of it because the trend for years afterwards was to just either satirize the Matrix or like make fun of or steal from it directly. Like how many times have you seen people leaning back to avoid bullets? Like, you know, that right. part. Yes, you know I mean? yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It's not the movie's fault. It was so successful, but you just you can't have avoided it by this point. Yeah, for sure. So, on to our next email, and until we talk about The Matrix again, thank you, Scott. Thank you. Scotty Cameron on The Great Gatsby, which, boy, Scotty was the only person who was interested in that Great Gatsby episode. <laughs> I know, which is such a shame because it's the bomb. Hey, Dylan and Gab, great show as always. The Great Gatsby is a movie to watch before you. I hope he means movie to watch before you die because it, just, it says movie to watch before you, period. And I'm like, the suspense. <laughs> 
<laughs> before you what? <laughs> I think you die. <laughs> <laughs> the death is implied. I have seen the film three times, and one of those times was in my junior English class because we read the book for that class. This is why it surprised me that Dylan has never read the book because I thought it was something all high schools did. A hundred percent. Me too. I told you, and I've said it on the podcast, I can't read. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the film is a very enjoyable. As he watch. reads the remainder of the email. <laughs> I'm. This is in Braille. No, that would be, I feel like that'd be even more impressive. If That's I just, reading like, if 2.0. I time, if I took the time to learn how to read Braille, but couldn't just read. <laughs> and yeah, why do I think Braille isn't reading? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Anyways, the film is a very enjoyable film to watch. I particularly like how Baz Luhrmann's stylistic choices fit the tone of the story, particularly when Nick and Tom are messing around with people in an apartment complex. That's putting it lightly. And when Gatsby tells Nick the first version of his backstory. It's part of what I think makes the Leonardo DiCaprio version of the film more memorable than the Robert Redford version. Granted, I haven't seen the Redford version in its entirety, but what I have seen makes the film seem more generic than the DiCaprio version. I do wish Luhrmann had kept the scene where Nick meets Henry Gatz in the film, because it is one of the best moments in the book, and it truly makes you feel badly for Gatsby. Yes. I also did like that there is a Family Guy episode that parodies The Great Gatsby as well as Huckleberry Finn, which came out my junior year of high school, when I would have read both books for my English class. I also think of a, uh, of a bit in Ted 2, where Ted and Mark Wahlberg think the F in F. Scott Fitzgerald stands for fuck instead of Francis. That's lame. Yeah, oh, to go back to, do you remember how I thought I was mixing up F. Scott Fitzgerald and Francis Scott Key? Yes. Apparently, I brought this up to Zach, and he was like, I did the same thing for a minute as you were talking to me about that. I was like, oh, thank God. So I'm not the <laughs> only person. Yeah, no, I don't think that's that unusual, honestly. You know what? They're slightly similar. They are. They are. And they're both like kind of historical figures. They're both pretty important in Amer- like Americana, right? They're both old enough that you can just mix them up time period wise. Like th- these two guys probably weren't even alive at the same time. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. I mean, think about it. F. Scott Fitzgerald was writing in the 20s and 30s. Yeah. Fuck and Scott the- Fitzgerald. I think, listen, hot take, I think Ted and all Ted-related things, I think any humor that is similar to Ted is bad. I think the older I get, the less into Seth MacFarlane humor I am. Yeah. When we were younger, like, Family Guy was great. But now I feel like if I watch a Family Guy episode, I'm like, this is just, like, attention deficit disorder in video form. Like, it is just like, oh, my God, they don't even try and write a coherent story. I think Family Guy is very smart, and I think the original Family Guy was much smarter than it is now. I mean, not that I'm like a frequent watcher, but I think it's definitely deteriorated. What I will say is that any, like Ted specifically, where it's like this very like mash of like stoner humor and boy humor, and I just like don't think it's funny. But I also really, really, really fucking hated, um, what was the movie, Uh, Super Bad. I love super bad. Hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it. I just hate all of those things. Um, Pineapple Express, hated it. Sausage Party, hated it. Like all of those movies that are just like such boy humor because I love um, Knocked Up. I love like those Seth MacFarlane movies that are just like not geared Wait, you Seth toward- Rogen? Yeah, Seth Rogen. I'm sorry. I I know we were talking about Seth MacFarlane, but in this instance, I'm referring to other Seth Rogen movies Mm -hmm. um, that are not garbage. Or at least not specifically geared toward like teenage boys, you know? Of the movies you named, I really like all of them except Sausage Party. Sausage Party, I did not feel too fondly about. 
But I will say, quick super bad story. I remember it came out around my birthday, and I remember every year on my birthday when I was a kid, I would go to the movies. And God bless her, my grandma really wanted to come with, so she came and saw Superbad. And I just remember oh. afterwards, she was like, that was something, just because I just remember like <laughs> looking over at her during like the drawing ticks montage. I was just like, she ain't gonna like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Nice, I mean, nice I honestly felt the same way i saw it in high school with a bunch of friends and i was like this i want my money back no i i can still laugh right now if i think of him saying i'm working on a veiny triumphant bastard <laughs> <laughs> i just i don't know it's not for me all right well i guess we should just put that aside then and continue with scotty's thoughts on the great gatsby yeah yeah when keen mentioned how he had read a book that had a similar premise to the truman show i couldn't help but think of a graphic novel that i own that is also that has a bit that is truman show-esque the title is Supreme Power and is a modernized take on the Squadron Supreme, which is a deconstruction of the Justice League. Hyperion, who is the Superman character in the story, has the same kind of fake upbringing Truman does, where everyone in his life is an actor. In Hyperion's case, he was abducted by the government after his rocket landed on Earth, and the government gave him fake parents and a fake childhood. I have a feeling that this might interest any yappy dudes from the Jump on the Batwagon podcast, Dylan included. In case I don't see you again, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Very cute. Side notes. Uh, no. That's kind of like Homelander and the boys. I'm sorry. What was your side note? I was going to say Scott and Durante actually texted me after the Truman Show episode to ask if I had been watching um The Jury or Jury Duty. Mm, no. Is, Are you is familiar? This current thing? Yeah. So Amazon has this offshoot called like Free V, I think it's called. Yeah, that I've heard of. And uh, there's a show on it that is very similar to the Truman Show. They stage a court case and everybody on the jury is in on it except for one guy. So there's one guy who actually thinks that he's a sitting member of a jury for this trial, but it's actually like entirely staged. He thinks that they're making a documentary about the court case. So other people are like being like interviewed and asked questions and he's being interviewed, but he's the only one who thinks it's real. And the funny thing is one of the jurors is James Marsden playing himself. So this guy thinks he's on a jury with James Marsden. Cyclops himself. Yes. And it's all entirely staged. Corey and I watched one episode and it was good, but sometimes those like mockumentary style things can be like a little hard to follow. So I felt like it was kind of slow, but I'm willing to give it a shot. Does it change the person each episode or is this an entire season of this guy being tricked into being on this court case? It's an entire season of this guy being tricked into thinking that he is actually a juror on a real trial when in fact it is all entirely made up. I'm intrigued. It seems good. The kind of like what's coming up on this season looked really good. And apparently now, obviously, it's over and he knows it was fake. And he like has all these jokes about how he has all these trust issues now because, you know, whatever. At least it wasn't from birth like Truman, you know, it was, well, it was a bad time yeah, on a jury. Yeah. And you know what? James Marsden should have given it away. I'm sure James Marsden can get out of jury duty. Well, there's a whole uh, the whole thing in the beginning where he's trying to say, like, I would be a bad juror because, like, I'm going to be a distraction, whatever. And the judge is like, I've never heard of you. I don't I don't know who you are. I've never seen any of your movies. So you're fine. And it's it's very funny. Poor James Highly Marsden. recommend, even though I said the first episode was kind of slow and I never watched it again. <laughs> I'm willing to give it a shot now. I've talked myself into it. Well, good. I'm intrigued as well. Good. All right. On to the next email from Pedro. Oh, how back. long are we talking? Not long. Okay, good. Thoughts no on offense, the Truman Pedro. Show. I love that we have I love that we preface now Pedro email with that. Hello, Dylan and Gab. Yes, I'm back. Pedro SD. No. Pedro traumatic stress disorder. God damn it. 
I should cut that out. Too lazy. Yes, I'm back. Mm. I thought I was going to be able to send something after the Truman Show episode, but sadly, I couldn't. My semester came back, and it is kicking my ass right now. My new classes, along with dealing with an internship. Hmm? How much do you not miss college? Because I'll tell you what, I do not miss college. Yeah, no, I don't miss school. And Giselle yeah. is still in school, and I feel badly for her at times. Sorry, Giselle. But I also feel but bad for me, pay me because, enough to go back. you know, as just a person now who just works all the time, there's no breaks anymore. Yeah, but I'd rather go to work and then close my computer and be like, fuck this, I'll do it tomorrow, than be like, this paper is due and I have to write it. No, I still have busy seasons where I work too much and I'd kill somebody for like a full on winter break again. Like, oh, yeah, mm, that'd be good stuff. That's true. Well, anyway. My new class is along with dealing with an internship where I have to teach theater to some very uninterested teenagers has made me very busy. Mm. I return now with some thoughts on The Truman Show. Truman Show. I had already watched this one years ago and liked it even back then. Seeing it now, it seems like this movie is aged like wine. I like it even more this time around. With the context of social media and reality TV, the subject of the film becomes even more apparent nowadays. Jim Carrey is absolutely fantastic in this film, and although this is not my favorite dramatic performance from him, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is my favorite, his balanced blend of drama and comedy really makes this film work. This movie has one of my favorite endings, with the joy of Truman finally leaving, but the audience just moving on to the next thing that catches their attention. Before I continue this, can you hear the person mowing their lawn outside? No. Then I'm just going to ignore it myself. But I'm like, oh, my God, this has been Wait, nonstop. shush. Let me hear. No, nothing. Okay. Continuing then. People must just think we're insane by this point because we keep hearing babies and mowers and all sorts of random shit that they're can not. Can you hearing. hear the cat complaining that I'm not petting her? No. Okay, good. Uh, I couldn't help but think that some of us live our own little Truman Show reality within social media, but of course it's hard to escape for some of us because it is now part of our living. Especially in the arts, sometimes having a big following is the only way to get jobs. I was lucky enough that my mom did not allow me to have a phone and a PC until I was like 16 to 17, which makes me avoid most things like the hellscape that is Twitter. Anyways, the Truman Show is definitely worth watching before you die. It has aged great, it's funny, it's sad, and it makes us reflect on our own little worlds. Now, the question for the week. Oh, I realize now the last question was not the best. So I'm going to throw one that I think you two might actually have an answer to. The Truman Show reminded me a lot of reality television. So here's <laughs> the cat is just oh, yeah. herself onto Gab. Um, so I'm going to throw one that I think you two might actually have an answer to. The Truman Show reminded me a lot of reality TV. So here's what I came up with. What reality show do you think you could realistically either be one of the finalists or actually win? I suck at most things, but maybe I could bullshit my way through the Brazilian version of Big Brother. Gab, I saw your Instagram and can only think of American Ninja Warrior slash Ultimate Beastmaster. (laughs) I don't know about you. (laughs) Maybe you could endure Survivor. (laughs) I don't watch a lot of reality shows, and both of you are in happy relationships, so that cancels out all reality shows that take place on islands, which is like half of reality TV these days. Anyway, hopefully I can send an email next week, but if not, until two to three weeks from now. Funny. So, what uh, what reality show do you think you could do like an American Ninja Warrior game? Um, no, it, that is such a specific skill set to be able to like do those movements that I just don't have and I don't train for. So definitely not. Um, I I do think that I could be, and you know what's really funny? Corey brought this up the other day, apropos of nothing. Um, I think I could do the Amazing Race. I think he and I could do the Amazing Race together. Um. I also think I might be able to do um, 
survivor. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a camper. I can't rough it. Is I'll, the let thing. You, I'll let you think about yours a little bit more if you want to, because I, I do have somewhat of an answer. Oh, please. Um, yeah. Giselle and I were talking about this because I did see this email ahead of time. And I, I just decided to like, I looked at the question. I was like, huh, I wonder what the answer would be. And I go for Giselle. <laughs> and I feel like she's going to feel bad that I'm bringing it up during the podcast. But she said to me, she was like, I don't know. I don't see you on a lot of these because I don't think you have main character energy, which felt like it sounded so mean to me at first until she explained to me by main character energy. She meant like, well, you're not like messy. You're not one who's going to go out and like make drama and stir shit. Yes. Which yes. then I was able to take it much better than when I was just like not main character energy. <laughs> you're not main character energy on reality TV shows. Sliding yes. scale of characters. Yeah. hundred percent. Me neither. Um, the reality TV show we did come up with that I would be on, which I forgot was a reality TV show and have since started binging because it's free on YouTube. Can I guess? I'll be shocked if you do, but sure. Is it, um, what's the TV show that we used to watch with my dad? Battlebots. No. Oh my God. Damn. I'm not nearly smart enough <laughs> at engineering like that type of thing. Yeah, but you could drive it. <laughs> if it has to be a competition of some kind, it would have to be something trivia related. Because uh-huh. the, the entire Pollock family is only good at useless trivia. Yep. Um, if it's not going to be competition related, like if it's something long form, it's comic book men. And having since just started watching it, it is just a bunch of nerds standing around talking about comics. And you know what? That is where I would thrive. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I would not be the, good on Survivor. The... No. Well, you know what? We're both too Jewish for that. We can't be like outside in the wanna... rain and the mud. Absolutely <laughs> not. There's no Sand? way. Ugh. Yeah, no way. Um, however, what I was going to say was um, there was that what was that game show that I started watching during the pandemic that I said you the guy reminded me of you so much. Are you talking about the chase? The, yeah. And the the what was he like? The He I was called he was the, the beast. Or something. The beast. Yeah. And he just like it was like I knew that I was going to be insulting you by saying that you remind me of him. But I just needed you like there was it just like his mannerisms, his like. I don't know. It just And Giselle agreed with me. Giselle was like, yeah, I see it. I appreciated it. The guy was a beast. If you've ever yeah. seen the chase, he's just like the guy that it's these people who are against like these trivia geniuses and they had to just somehow keep getting the answers right. And not let the trivia geniuses mess them up. And this guy, the yeah. beast comes out and there are like three or four other people. And I think they all seem to have a shade of confidence when one of the other ones comes out. And then when they're like, it's the beast and they're like, ah, fuck. <laughs> it's he's just like smart. confidence drops. Yeah. It reminds he me just of did knows you- everything. You never would have watched this, but have you ever heard of Stump the Schwab? <laughs> no. It was a show that used to be on ESPN, like, 17. Um, and it was this guy who, like, you know, it would mostly be college kids playing against this guy. And they had to beat him in trivia. And he was just this guy who he worked at ESPN for, like, 30 years. And they were like, this guy knows everything about sports. And they just decided to put him on a trivia show. And literally every time he would just beat the shit out of people. Wow. I don't remember yeah. ever seeing anybody beat him. Anyway, yeah. should I move on yeah. to the next email? Uh, yeah. Am I satisfied with my answer? What did I say? Amazing Race? I think yeah, you ended think up that's... on Amazing Race. I think I could do the Amazing Race because it's it's physical, but it's also like it requires some kind of smartness. Uh, there's an element of like uh, – you're you're kind of like trying to dick around with the other teams, right? Like you got to confuse them and shit. I don't know. A bit of mischievousness. Yes. 
yeah, yeah. I said to yeah, Giselle, I, I thought she could do the Amazing Race too, because Giselle, once she is focused on a task, will not stop until she has succeeded at that task. Yeah, yeah. I love that. All right. On to our next and final email from The Keen Machine. Let's do it. Wait until dark. Greetings, Dylan and Gab. As a fan of Audrey Hepburn, I am sad to report that once again, I have not yet seen this film. Wow. I'll be putting this on my proverbial watch list for sure. Gab, I understand your reticence when it comes to stage works transformed for the screen, especially when the setting is a perpetual singularity. However, mm -hmm. I do still hold to the belief that some stage shows have been well adapted to both the stage and the screen. Dylan, I love that you picked this film. It sounds like something right up my alley for sure. It's funny, but it seems that I'm more motivated to watch some of these films that didn't make the cut more than some that do. Really enjoying all the mail you've been getting. I wish everyone in the Movies to Watch Before You Die universe, the MTWBYDU, a great <laughs> Keep it keen. Keen, I would love for you to watch this and let me know what you think in terms of the uh, how well adapted it is for the screen. Because I'd love to know your um, your thoughts, especially if you think that it is often done well, because I disagree. Well, we'll see if Keen seems to be quite the expert on uh, on musicals and stage plays. So maybe Keen can come up with some more for us. Yeah. All right. And on that note, should we get to our various, uh, very obvious verdicts for Whiplash? Let's shock the people right here and now. Do or do not. There is no try. The guilty will be punished. Sentence to death. <laughs> Gab, do you want to go first? Because you did suggest the movie. This is a movie to watch before you die. It is so good, whether you are interested in the performances, the story, the relatability, the dialogue, the action, the uh, suspense. It's almost like a like a thriller at times. Um, I cannot recommend it enough. Watch this movie. It is undoubtedly a movie to watch before you die. It is absolutely a movie to watch before you die. There is no doubt that we agree on this. I also feel like, yes, it's shot like a thriller at times. At times, it, it normally... Music does such a good job supporting action. And in this, it feels like the camera work supports the music because the music is sometimes the star of the movie. Like the movie, you know, spoiler, 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 please go watch the movie ends with, you know, probably a 10 to 15 minutes of just them playing music. And obviously it all has meaning and it all has action in the sense. But by that point, there's so much camera work being done to make this them playing the drums feel like a fight scene, feel like a back and forth. Yes. Literally, at one point, it's doing this great thing where it pans back and forth between it'll be on Fletcher Neiman, Fletcher Neiman, Fletcher Neiman, and it'll go back and forth in what is called. Do you know what that shot is called? Uh Oh, my God. Going from him to him. Uh-huh. The uh, way it's doing it, it's called a whip pan. Oh, no, I never would have guessed that. And it's doing it so rapidly. Whiplash. Uh, but obviously, that's not the most important thing. But I just think that. It's one of those movies that, you know, I think sometimes I love a movie that has everything in it, where it gives you comedy, it gives you action, it gives you highs and lows emotionally. This does not do that. This movie is a movie of almost constant anxiety. Things are almost yeah. always, like, fucking tough. But it does everything well. Literally, I can't tell you anything that I don't like about the movie or that I think is not done well in it. And if you haven't heard us fawn enough about it, when we do get to our facts at some point, you'll hear plenty of other fawning about the movie. It's it's damn near perfect, I will say. And I, I just think it's it's it does everything beautifully. It does everything and it does everything beautifully. Um, so where do we want to go from here? Do we want to talk about the facts or do we want to start start talking about like what we're going to be talking about today? 
I think maybe we should get through the facts and I'll try and, you know, keep it somewhat brief because I do have a lot. Okay. I want the truth! Face the facts, dokes. Facts have no place with an organized religion. Damien Chazelle, who is the director of the movie, said that by the third scene with Nicole, he's a mini Fletcher. Bullying begets bullying and abuse begets abuse. And Andrew winds up without realizing it subconsciously carrying out the same exact behavior onto Nicole and his dad and everyone who cares about him. Wow. Again, from Damien Chazelle, the idea at the end was to write the saddest possible happy ending. Fletcher gets exactly what he wants at the end. That to me, hopefully makes the ending a bit troubling. That behavior gets rewarded. Andrew gets what he wanted to, but was it worth the cost? This one I thought was really interesting. After Sundance, which they premiered the short at, and due to foreign sales, people tried to convince him to get rid of J.K. Simmons. Possible suggestions for the feature, like studio notes, were maybe a Jeff Bridges or a Kevin Spacey. Absolutely not. It had to be J.K. Simmons. It had to be. He's perfect. Yeah, I can't think of anybody else who would have done this this well. Uh, The sound mixer, Tom Curley, said on set that the movie was referred to as Full Metal Jacket at Juilliard. Yeah. Uh, Lessons from the Screenplay YouTube channel said that, like Black Swan, the character at the end has destroyed his old self and given their best performance ever. Um, He gave a quote from the... A quote from the screenplay. His face now says one thing and one thing only. This is playing Fletcher has never seen before. Fletcher almost smiles. Was this his plan all along? Fletcher stands there nodding, focused like a coach at the critical moment, waves his hand, pushing Andrew on. This is Andrew's moment. I just thought that was interesting the way the screenplay says that that scene goes yeah um another note from the script ending it refers to andrew as a machine his wardrobe reflects a loss of himself and his humanity as it starts out with him wearing a white shirt and gets darker and darker until the end he wears black like fletcher to andrew has become the next great musician to fletcher he has made the next great musician director damien chasselle said there's a certain amount of damage that will always have been done fletcher will always think he won and andrew will always be a sad empty shell of a person who will likely die in his thirties of a drug overdose. And there's obviously the quote that Andrew has in the movie. I'd rather die drunk and broke at 34 and have people at a dinner table talk about me than live to be rich and sober at 90 and nobody remember who I was. That's very interesting. Well, there, uh, do we want to get into it? Do you want to get into it? Cause I know like I still have a bunch more facts, but yes, we can, if you want to. So all I want to say is that at one point in time in the movie, it's it's very interesting. We find out that a former student of Fletcher's who was went on to be very successful, he was the first chair at Lincoln Center, um, he died. And we learn that we we are told by Fletcher that he died um of in a, a accident. in a car accident, but it turns out he actually committed suicide. Um, and he suffered from anxiety and depression ever since he was a student of Fletcher's. So um, there's this whole interesting conversation around like Fletcher knows what really happened. And he told a lie to the band. He said he died in a car accident. So he must assume some guilt over this. Um, I actually have an opinion that like it's randomly something I found online about somebody speaking about that exact scene. Okay, sure. Rewatching the movie, I don't know if he is truly that sad about Sean Casey, the student who commits suicide. Before finding Andrew, Sean was Fletcher's best bet at producing a prodigy. He failed with Sean because he ended his life before he could be remembered for his greatness. Fletcher may have been more upset at the fact that his best musician failed to become a famous musician. After he starts class the next day, he seems emotional for a few moments, but as soon as they start playing, he is no longer sad and turns to Andrew. 
From this point on in the film, Fletcher pushes Andrew increasingly harder, perhaps knowing Andrew would be his best chance at producing greatness. Fletcher even tells Andrew he never had a Charlie Parker, which was his dream to produce a prodigy. If Fletcher truly was remorseful and felt any kind of guilt, he would have eased up on Andrew instead of becoming more violent and more aggressive. Again, my own opinion, and not sure what many people would agree, but think about it. It makes sense. It totally makes sense. There's also... Well, I'm sorry. Uh, was there more about Sean Casey that you wanted to say? Or that no, character? No, no, that was it. No, that was it. There's one other moment that I found somebody like somebody else's explanation for that I thought was really interesting. So, a lot of people ended up asking after this movie, who took the folder? And I, you know, we had to spoil it so that you know. Um, initially, when he joins the top music class, he is the backup to a student named Tanner. Um, Tanner has his folder with his music. He tells Andrew to hold it as his backup while he goes to the bathroom or whatever. Andrew turns away for a moment and it's gone. So I remember a lot of people asking who took the folder, what happened to the folder. Like at one point, I think Andrew says maybe a janitor came by and you can tell how high strung everybody is because Tanner immediately loses his fucking mind. He goes, a janitor, you dumb fuck, find it, find the folder. Like I love how much like people unravel because they're like, oh my God, I'm not going to tell Fletcher that I lost this. So this person said, the person who likely took Tanner's folder was probably Fletcher. I completely agree. I've thought that the whole time. The folder of music Andrew has at the end is sheet music identical to Tanner's markings for the same song. Now, is there a chance that they just reused the props? Yes, but it is literally, it's a shot that they randomly show of on the music stand when Tanner is using it, his notations on Caravan or Whiplash, whichever song it is. And then when he has Caravan and Whiplash at the end, the very end of the movie when he's playing with Fletcher, the folder that he likely was given by Fletcher has those exact same markings, which are handwritten markings. Um, Tanner also says to Fletcher, I need sheet music. I can't play without it. He says, you know this. I need visual cues. So he knew if I take that, there's no way this guy can play. And it's Neiman's moment where he immediately says, like, I can play it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I That's the last of my, up. like, theoretical facts. Okay. Should I get into my more standard facts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. On IMDb, this is given an 8.5 out of 10. On Rotten Tomatoes, this manometer gives it 94%, an average rating of 8.6 out of 10, 288 fresh reviews, 19 rotten. Audience score, 95, 94%, with an average score of 4.5 out of 5. It was written and directed by Damien Chazelle, who directed and wrote La La Land and Babylon, and he oh, wow. also directed First Man. And he also wrote 10 Cloverfield Lane. What a repertoire of work. Yeah, I was like, that has nothing to do. This was also produced by Blumhouse and Jason Blum, who has produced seemingly every horror movie of the last 10 years. Um, I was surprised some non-horror movies that Jason Blum has also produced are The Tooth Fairy, <laughs> um, the true crime, like the mocking version of the true crime, The Thing About Pam, and Black Klansman. Love that movie. Music by Justin Hurwitz, who also did the music for Babylon, First Man, and La La Land. But interestingly, also wrote seven episodes of The League, four episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and an episode of The Simpsons. Weird. Okay. Good for him. Yeah. Man of many talents. Stars Miles Teller as Andrew, who you may know from Top Gun Maverick, the Divergent series, and the Fantastic Four, um, also known as Fan Four Stick. 
J.K. Simmons as Fletcher, who you know as J. Jonah Jameson from Spider-Man films, as the father from Juno, as the vicious neo-Nazi Vern Schillinger from Oz, or maybe as the peanut M&M from the M&M commercials. Also, the farmer's insurance guy. We are farmers. And once upon a time, there was a television show. I think it only had one season, and it was called Growing Up Fisher. Um, and it starred J.K. Simmons as a blind father. And it was so good. He, I think, was better at playing blind than Audrey Hepburn was. I'm just going to say it. It was a delight. It was like a 30-minute, happy, feel-good little sitcom. And I cannot recommend it enough. I was so sad when it didn't get picked back up. It was great. He is great. He is one of the best actors of our time. I have no memory of this show, but I totally agree with him being one of the best actors of our time. Yeah. Um, Also, Melissa Benoist as Nicole, who you might know from 140 episodes of CW Television as Supergirl. 42 episodes of Glee and Patriot's Day. Wait. And lastly, Paul Reiser as Andrew's father, Jim. You may know from 174 episodes of Mad About You as the scummy Burke from Aliens or as Dr. Sam Owens from Stranger Things. Oh, interesting. The movie was nominated for Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay. It won Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actor for J.K. Simmons, Best Film Editing for Tom Cross, and Best Sound Mixing by Craig Mann, Ben Wilkins, and Thomas Curley. Oh, J.K. Simmons also won Best Supporting Actor at the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards. Sweet. Very cute. Um, awesome. Anything else? I mean, I've got so much more. Oh, the movie God. had a budget yeah. of $3.3 million, box office gross $49.4 million. Ooh. Critics consensus, intense, inspiring, and well-acted, Whiplash is a brilliant sophomore effort from director Damien Chazelle and a riveting vehicle for stars J.K. Simmons and Miles Teller. A couple quick negative reviews. Debbie Baldwin from Ledoux News. The advertising boasts words like riveting and astounding. Sadly, I was neither riveted nor astounded. Well, you're a dumbass. Dennis Schwartz from Dennis Schwartz Movie Reviews. Could have easily been a sports film. Which I'm okay. Like, okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> Fuck you. John Beefus from Commercial Appeals. The movie struck me as unreal and vaguely ridiculous. I found it easy to imagine Will Ferrell in the role of Fletcher, a switch that would require no decrease in tantrums and no change in dialogue. I... I'm like, what movie did you watch, bro? Yeah, honestly, are you kidding? Um, And two quick good reviews. Brian Tallarico from RogerEbert.com. A riveting portrait of two people working out the theory that pressure turns coal into a diamond. And lastly, I like to shout him out because he's our local movie reviewer, Raffer Guzman from Newsday. Oh, what's up? Primarily two actors and a jazz score, but the result is a crackling good drama that feels almost like a thriller. Smart, stylish, and intense. See, we make a, we make good movie reviewers. I did always used to disagree with him, I feel like, when I would read his reviews, but he's right on this one. Yeah. I honestly am not super familiar with him, but it's cool that he's local. Um, Okay. Can we talk about the good stuff now? The film was shot in only 19 days. Wow, that's... <laughs> <laughs> wow um that's cool jk simmons actually slapped miles teller once this that's the take that's used in the film oh shit ouch okay i think that is all the important ones that i have here okay all right so the re the thing that i'm most excited about with this episode is is now i normally we talk about our opinion on the movie obviously you already understand our opinion we've given our verdicts so i want to talk about kind of the bigger picture stuff and the point that i made that kind of blew dylan away um 
was that I wanted to debate whether or not their relationship is toxic because I think on the surface, it's very easy to say, oh, well, you know, here's a professor that was abusive to his student. So obviously, like their relationship is toxic. But I think one could argue that it was not. And I'm very interested in hearing you argue that it was not because already the director said that it was straight up abusive, which I'm not sure if like toxic is somehow different from abusive. If Like your definition of a toxic relationship is not the same. Like maybe you're thinking it's not toxic for Fletcher, but it is extremely toxic for Andrew. It literally derails his life in the sense that he starts out as like aspirational and he, you know, is trying to have a family life. You know, he's trying to have a girlfriend and he, through being abused by Fletcher is like willing to give up all of that and sort of by the end of the movie falls into nothing but obsession. Yeah. Nothing but yeah. it's his passion, but he falls by the wayside on everything else. Well, I think it's so funny that you bring this up as a really big Tom Brady fan, because I recently have had a couple of, not recently, but you know, when Tom Brady retiring was relevant, was having some conversations um, with a, a fellow Tom Brady huge fan. Um, there's a Tom Brady jersey in my closet that I see every day. Mm. Um, I know. Who and is it, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's not mine. Um, yeah, big Tom Brady fan, huge Tom Brady fan. And um, I, I really believe that his love of football and his love of winning and his love of you know, what he does destroyed his relationship with his wife and his family because it is very difficult to be the best at something and have any kind of balance. And so I believe that the even though, yes, Fletcher's behavior was abusive, I think that he was not like I don't think that he could you could justify any of the things that he did but i think the way that he behaved and the way that he got andrew to fight for his um to fight for yeah to to earn essentially like the knowledge and the part and not just the part but like the understanding of what it's going to take to be this good um it set him up for success and unfortunately, I think, you know, the success that he wanted is not something that the rest of us probably would want because it does involve taking over your whole life. It involves um, giving up everything else. It involves like having a one track mind and, and a one track life. But that's what he wanted. And it was the only way he was going to get what he wanted was for Fletcher to prepare him for that. You know what I mean? I think there's a couple of differences. And one, I love your use of Tom Brady in this argument, it's something I feel Thank like I, I know well. Couldn't um, wait to bring it up. One, we're just speculating on if that is what ruined Tom Brady's marriage. <laughs> sure. Shut up. No, it is. It 100% is. She said it. Two, I'm like, I probably agree with you, but I'm saying we don't definitely know that. Okay. As far as we know, that is all self-dedication. Bill Belichick is not beating the shit out of Tom Brady or was never beating the shit out of Tom Brady. Like, yeah, he treat him like any other player. But there at no point was a time where Tom Brady was throwing footballs until his fingerprints peeled off. You know what I mean? Like, because he was. We don't know that. What about Michael down. Jordan? What about Michael Jordan? But the difference is these people like literally Michael Jordan's longtime coach, Phil Jackson, is known as the Zen master. 
he's not known as the I will scream at you until you figure it out. You know what I mean? Yeah, but there there are so many different ways. There are a lot of different means to get to the same end. And I agree with you, but I think the method that Fletcher used was we're going to see how bad you want this. What what are you willing to do? What are you willing to put up with? How far are you willing to go? And at the end, like, it worked. He was, am- he did it. He was amazing. Like, so was it, was it worth it? I mean, maybe not to you or I. Now, but that's a different question. Because are you saying, was it worth it? That's a different question than was it toxic? Because it's obviously toxic, I think. Is it worth it, I think, is much more debatable. Well, and I think they it, even sort of address that too. Well, is it toxic if it if it gets you where you want to be? You know what I mean? Like yes, like it can certainly be toxic and getting like, you know, the fucking 127 hours guy is glad he's not under the rock. I'm sure he didn't agree that like it was great that he had to cut his arm off to get out from under the rock. You know what I mean? That is maybe the worst example I've ever heard, but okay. it was what came straight to my mind. I okay. looked up, I looked up another sports guy that I thought of that made sense for your for your conversation. Um, um sure. have you ever heard of Bobby Knight? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> you look you look you like stared for a minute there. Okay. Well, that's a common name. I'm thinking like I've I know I, you know what I mean? Bobby Knight was famously a college basketball coach. Oh, and no. one of the best ever. Um he is he had an undefeated season, which I think has not been done a lot. You know what I mean? I think it's a rare feat. And he also was seen berating his player, choking a player, um, picked his son an acolyte during a game, threw a chair onto the court. Like, the guy is known for being an asshole. But there's also a difference is it's okay to be an asshole if you win, which is what I kind of feel like is is the argument that we're having here, is that as long as the results are good, no matter what you do to get there is good. Does the end justify the means is sort of yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, what what is something in your, what is the one thing in life that you would really love to be the best at? Like you may not even have one. Like it's hard for me to fathom at this point in my life, like what he went through, even though like I would love to be an incredible athlete. I would love to be an athlete at the CrossFit Games, but like not to a point where I'm going to go through that. You know what I mean? Like at this point, I just, there are so many other things that color my life. I have friends. I have a family. I have a relationship. I have a job. Like I wouldn't be willing to give these things up necessarily. Um, however, if you would have asked me when I was 21, if I was willing to do that to be an actor, I would have said yes, absolutely 100%. And you know, I mean, would it be worth it to go through that? Like, would, is it, is it toxic if this person wants for you what you want for yourself, maybe even more so than you want it for yourself? Like, I just think we need to separate the abusive behavior, like the, the behavior from the ultimate goal. And so I think the question is like, because did some of the behavior that he experienced from Fletcher was, was some of that abuse like helpful in preparing him for what was to come? Maybe. Right. Like how much of it wasn't and how much of it was just to break down his humanity until all that was left was a drummer. Like it didn't help him at all to just force him Connolly, and Tanner to do nothing but play drums for like four hours while they waited to start because he wanted to know who could play fast enough for his tempo 
and just made them play as fast as they fucking could. Right. You know and what I mean? Blood like, everywhere. Yeah. Yes. Which, um, from some clip I saw where it was like a drummer reviews like drumming in movies. He was like, no, nobody's gonna bleed that much from drumming. And I'm like, I hope not. Like their hands are Honestly. a fucking mess. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's yeah, a very I mean, Machiavellian conversation you're having because it really does feel like it's just like, do the ends justify the means? And yeah. I guess if you asked Andrew, he'd say, yeah, maybe it did because, you know, but Andrew clearly has this victim mentality at times. Yeah. Like there well, are times. He's the, perfect, he's the perfect candidate for what Fletcher wants. And Fletcher obviously knows that. Yeah. Um, Fletcher uses all of his weaknesses against him and even to the point where Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Once Andrew gets kicked out of the school and has a chance to say something about Fletcher's abuse, he really struggles with whether or not to do it. Like, he looks at his dad and says, how could you try and ask me to do this? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, having rewatched the movie, um, that Nicole and his dad are really supposed to be symbolic of, like, you know, normalcy versus passion. And it really is. One of the best scenes in the movie is that conversation at the dinner table with Andrew's family where none of them seem to understand his passion for drumming. None of them seem to get how important it is that he is in the core band. Um, And the fact that he does say that line where he says, I'd rather be dead at 34 and be remembered as one of the greats than alive at 90 and nobody care. Yeah. I don't know. Like, Again, if Tom Brady died tomorrow after his retirement, would I say that it was worth it that he like did nothing but play football and never spent time with his family? No. I don't know if he'd say the same thing, though. Like, it's a good question. Would Tom Brady say, like, I'll take my seventh? He probably did make a deal with the devil to win that many Super Bowls. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, you hear about so many athletes that have these great careers and then they're like, I'm going to retire now and be with my family. I miss my wife. I miss my kids. But like, those aren't the ones that we like are really talking about. You know what I mean? Like it's the people that give their entire life. And I just, I think that it's a level of discipline and commitment and drive that most normal people don't know because no matter how badly you want something like you you don't want it that badly you know what I mean like like but uh, you know I just think in sports is the easy comparison comparison in every example that I can think of in greatness where we're talking about players who did nothing but dedicate their entire lives to the game or you know anything like that there is always like an element of tragedy to it too yeah like my mind is going straight to Junior Seau who do you know who Junior Seau is no Amazing linebacker, played in the NFL for 20 years. Killed himself a few years later, had CTE. And it's, you know, it's terribly tragic. You can remember this player who was a Hall of Famer, who was, put everything on the line on the field. And, you know, I I highly doubt that it was worth it to him. You know what I mean? By the end, because sadly, he's not even here anymore. Right. Um, You know, I think of, I'm sure you've never seen the movie 61, but it, he talks about uh, Mickey Mantle and um, Roger Maris chasing Babe Ruth's home run record. And you see Mickey Mantle's body breaking down over the course of the season. And it's like, well, I just had to keep going because I have to. The fans want me to. It's important to them. And it's like, is it worth it? You know what I mean? And yeah. it so often seems like by the time you get there, even if you succeed, you know, you still have to ask the question, was it worth it? 
because yeah. God forbid you don't succeed because there's a million more stories out there of people who push themselves to the fucking edge, who gave everything they had only to fail. And- well, and that's true. And we don't know if Andrew really made it at the end. Like, we don't know if he got a call from one of those incredible bands. We don't know if he made it to Lincoln set. Like, we have no idea. We just know that he succeeded in that moment. Yes. So and even we don't then, know if it was worth it. Like, it, it is such an interesting thing that I feel like, you know, we were able Giselle and I watched it together and I feel like we briefly were able to say afterwards, like, is this a happy ending? Like, I feel like it's a happier ending for Fletcher than it is for Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Which feels terrible because Fletcher is not the good guy. You know what I mean? Not that right. Andrew's necessarily like the great guy. He treats people badly by the end of this movie, but it's like, but Andrew was this innocence who was taken. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas Fletcher knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. Well, I think it, it even goes for like entertainment too. You know, like you, you hear about these artists, like I, my mind goes right to Kesha. Right. And it's like okay. Kesha, <laughs> Kesha, um, put out this album and became this famous pop star. And she had these ridiculous songs and she wore these ridiculous outfits and whatever, but she got what she wanted. She was famous, but Dr. Luke, who was her producer and owned all the rights to her music and and had a contract with oh. her that she had to put out a certain number of records. Yeah, trigger was, warning. Yeah, was sexually abusive. Yeah. And so what she ended up doing was not making any records until like the statute of limitations had been reached on that contract. Um, but it's like I I mean it's not a direct comparison, right? But it's like was the abuse like she got what she wanted, so to speak. She was a famous pop star. She had a, a lucrative career. And it's like, was it worth what you would because now she doesn't have to work with him. She puts out her records with somebody else. And you know, she's obviously like recognized as like a survivor, and you know, she's a, a, a great source of inspiration to a lot of people. But it's like was it worth what you went through to achieve this dream that you had of being a famous singer? I mean, I think probably not in that example, but you know, I also think of like Drew Barrymore who, you know, came from a family of fame and became famous at such a young age. And like when you do that and when you become a successful actor as a fucking single digit child, yeah, you're being forced into a world that as a child you shouldn't be in. And she saw, became addicted to drugs by the time she was a fucking teenager. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, You know, it's again, I keep just going back to does the end justify the means? And I feel like that would have been a better tagline than whatever the fuck I said before was. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. You know, I just think it's, it's really interesting. And like I said, when I was 21 and you know, I was an actor and I, and it's so funny too, because there are a lot of these like cliches about like the casting couch, right. Where like, Oh, like, you know, these, I'm going to offer you this role, but only if you sleep with me, like that really happens. Um, i I never did it. That's why I'm not successful, <laughs> but, um, oh that God. does really happen. I knew a girl, I mean, I still know her, I suppose she's still alive, but I knew a girl who I swear to God, I'm not making this up. I will not use names, but we had a very, a professor who was a playwright and he was a very famous playwright. He's still writing plays. He's still very successful. Um, He was a professor at Tisch, at Marymount, at Juilliard, at Columbia, like all of the schools. Um, And he, she had sex with him to get a part in one of his plays. I'm dead serious. That's terribly sad. I'm sure it happens all the time. Um, I'm certain it does. It's it's a terrible thing. Like obviously it's what sparked the Me Too movement. Right, right. 
there were um, plenty of casting directors for smaller projects. Nothing, nothing ever happened to me that was big, but small projects where they were like, you know, you'd be great in this role. Like would love to talk to you about it over dinner. You know, I don't give parts to anybody that, you know, don't um, at least come over for drinks first, like just like really creepy shit. Um, And I forgot why. I started bringing this up. I don't know um, how oh, you got oh, here, guys. <laughs> I, I, I remember how I got here. If you would have asked me at 21 when my entire life was about being an actor and being a great performer and I wanted to be like the next Meryl Streep, like I really cared about the craft more than I cared about like being on a TV show so my friends could see and, you know, being famous. Like I cared so much about the craft. Um, I probably would have said, yeah, I'll go, I'll take, I'll do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes. And I was smart enough to know, like, I probably shouldn't go to this guy's house for just like that might not end well, but if somebody were, were to be say like the greatest acting teacher of all time, and they took me on and they behaved to me the same way that Fletcher did. And it was very abusive. I don't know that I would have left because it wasn't, it, it, you know, sexual abuse. I think as a young woman, you're like, kind of like, okay, I've got to look out for this, but like, emotional abuse I think I would have just been like well he's trying to help me tap into this emotion because it's going to help my performance like I can see how a young person who really wants to be successful especially one whose family doesn't seem to believe in them or understand them how they would fall victim to somebody who can give them everything they want and who clearly believes in them or could potentially believe in them um I mean there's a terrible thing of it becomes normal it yeah. becomes your sense of normal. And there's also this terrible power dynamic of even if you do want to speak out. One, everyone around you isn't doing that. And two, the moment you do that, somebody much more powerful than you immediately has a target on you. Right. Like, that's why, you know, the only reason Neiman, I think, even would have gone along with saying something about Fletcher is because he was no longer in the school. Yeah. Like when he was and a student, it was all about, I will do whatever it takes to prove myself here. Yeah. And it's so interesting too. like all the other members of the band don't really seem phased by his behavior. They're just used to it. And it kind yeah. of gives you this very strange sense of like, maybe I'm the crazy one for thinking this is crazy because all these other people seem to be totally okay with it. Um, Although I do love, it's a one-off line at the end talking about Tanner, who was the core player before Andrew. And he asks him, what about Tanner? And he goes, Switch to pre-med. I guess, you know, the pressure was too much. So, like, good for Tanner, man. <laughs> like, that he just, yeah. you know, got out of it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? And that's, I think, the point that I'm trying to make is that Fletcher's behavior to any normal person would be like, you know what? I'm out of here. Um, And it's only the people who actually have the potential to be as great as they, you know, everybody thinks they want to be are willing to put up with him. And I think that kind of goes you know, let's remove the idea of having like a coach or a teacher who is potentially abusive. Let's just talk about like what it takes to be successful in an industry like that, really anything, right? But especially if you're talking about something that is subjective, like the arts, what it takes to be great is so much more work and dedication and, and, um, you know, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like sacrifice Mm -hmm. than most people are willing to make. And so, you know, his behavior is probably going to make most people say, well, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not dealing with this because um, they they want to be a musician, but not that badly. But then the people that are actually willing to put up with it are the ones that have what it takes. And so it's kind of like it's it's there's just this strange dichotomy between like, yeah, it's abusive, but also like 
if you can't handle the heat, then like get out of the kitchen, right? Like, because dealing with that and putting up with that and learning from him and doing what it takes to be good enough in his eyes is literally what got him to, you know, the finish line of success. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the head chef is in the kitchen throwing knives at people, though. Like, it's no good. Yeah, it's not good. But like, I don't know, you know, like. I don't know. It's listen, I I mean, you know, look at where I am. Look at what I do. Right. Like I'm I have said multiple times on this podcast, like I wouldn't be willing to deal with it. Um, There, are, you know, my my life is too colorful. There are too many other things that I'm interested in. But um, I do think that there's a way to view his behavior as toxic and abusive, but see the relationship as one that gave him success. Like maybe if we had Fletcher's in our lives at a time when we were young and hungry to do you know, our, to, to achieve our dreams, maybe we would have made it. Now, do you think Andrew is right? Um, when he says, and I guess it's, do you think Tom Brady is also right in this sense? Could he be as successful and have that functioning work-life balance and have been with, um, Nicole or, you know what I mean? Or was it that there is no way that could happen? You know what I mean? It's such an interesting question. And I think the older that I get, the more that I start to relate a little bit more to like, you know, obviously, you know, I love CrossFit. We've talked about that on this podcast. Um, we? There <laughs> once or twice, there are um, a number of athletes who are married, right? And, and most of them don't have children, but a lot of them are married. Some of them do. And they like these spouses are just like it's kind of like being a military spouse right where it's like you're just like gone all the time yep. and you know it is what it is and i think about how that is ge like genuinely just the sacrifice that everybody makes so that this person can be as great as you know they'd like to be and yeah. so i don't think that there truly is the ability to have that work-life balance when you want to be that great i genuinely don't and i, I think, think that's why no go ahead i was just gonna say, i think that's why a lot of these um you know celebrities and athletes have like failed relationship after failed relationship and it's just because like you can't you can't really be a partner to somebody if you are or you know a good son or daughter or a good friend if you have to dedicate that much of your life to you know kind of like being alone um because it's not a team sport right or even being with your team that isn't your family um i just don't think it's possible and i think there are ways that you can be as fulfilled um you know like i think there are ways that you can like be a regional success right or be involved in the thing you love without necessarily being the greatest of all time at a yes. professional level that's a different question can you be happy and not be the greatest of all time so, right 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 yes. right but no i don't i don't think it is possible i don't think there is such a thing as work-life balance um when you want to be that good as uninteresting as it is i totally agree with you and my mind goes straight to like one total example gab you're a major met fan so i know you're going to know exactly what i'm talking about and also baseball players this applies well too because you're on the road a good amount of the year yep I remember Daniel Murphy, um, who was the second baseman for the Mets at the time. His wife was pregnant and he, she had the baby and he was going to take three days of paternity leave. And it became, it became a major controversy in New York sports. 
thought he was going to miss three days. Like, I don't even know if he was going to miss three games, but he was yeah. going to miss three days. Yeah. And it's like, he's not asking to actually have any reasonable amount of time off to spend time with his newborn. He's asking for three days. And yeah. it's like, you have worked to get yourself to the highest level of your sport and people want you to do nothing but that. Yeah. Like they're, you know, Michael Jordan's a perfect example for, for these players who do work to this level and do have kids or do have spouses. You don't get to spend time with that person. Not nearly as much as any normal person would, because so much of your life has to be dedicated to your craft, whatever it may be. Yeah. So I think, you know, the work-life balance thing, I think even for fucking normal people is almost a myth sometimes. Like it's hard. It's hard even for regular people. I mean, oh, yeah. it's it's you know, there's commute, right? There's like wanting to, you know, and I I that was a dumb example. But you know, it there's <laughs> there's time dedicated. I I go to Brooklyn every day, so I'm like the fucking commute is terrible. Um, but there's definitely like a level of if you want to be successful to provide for your family, you have to be willing to do more, give more, work harder. But then at the same time, like if you want to provide, like if you have a family you want to provide for, like don't you want to be around, hang out with them? Like, right? Yes. Are you just like the finance guy or are you or girl or are you the, the you know, present? Um, you're working to have a good life. But if all you're doing is working to have that good life, are you even having that good life? You're so eloquent. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know. And it's funny too. I realized this a lot after I had, so I had surgery. I had an emergency surgery not that long ago. Um, and I, so I couldn't work out. Right. And Corey was still going to the gym every day. And he was so good about trying to find times that he could go that like I was busy or that I would be at work because eventually I did go back to work. Um, you know, whatever. And I just thought about like, you know, our, the workouts on the program that we, we do are like two to three hours long. So it's not like a short amount of time that he was just getting up and going. Um, and it kind of made me realize like, oh my God, like if we didn't have this thing in common that we did together, if I was just like a regular non-athletic person that like, didn't understand this, I would probably not really be willing to tolerate it because that's a long chunk of time that somebody is just gone. And then additionally, like we're not even talking about somebody who's like competing on a level where like, he's not going to earn $50,000 if he comes in first in this, in this competition. Like this is like a hobby, right? So it's like, it, it just, it's so hard. And it, that doesn't mean that it doesn't mean a lot to him, right? It doesn't mean that it's not something that like is a huge part of his life. Um, and obviously also feeds into his career, but it's just like, I, that's the reason that, that people in those types of relationships, like it's very hard and it often doesn't work out um, because it just, what else do you have time for? You know? Yeah. And that's why, you know, at least in athletics, it's like, at least you can try and justify to yourself as, well, this is temporary. I can only be a professional athlete for a limited amount of time. And, and then when an that's season. done, I can, you know, rededicate myself to my family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure that's, I think that's, you know, to go back to Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen. I think there had always been this idea that like, well, I'll play till my 40s or I'll play until I'm bad, but I'm not going to play past 45. And, you know, no matter what, it's like there there's an end point and then I'll be able to fully be with you and the family. And it's like, well, fuck, man, you know, that's a lot of time. By this point, yeah. you've been in the league over 20 years. Like, when's it enough? And, you know, right. because you are just saying, well, for this amount of time, I will have zero work life balance and I can give you will never be the priority. Right. And the thing is, and I, you know, not to get into this conversation, but I've always understood Giselle's point, And I think I would be in the exact same place as she was, because at some point it's like, 
you've made me a promise and I have happily been in the backseat. And now like, you're like, I, I, I'm the one getting fucked over again. Like you promised this was, the, you know, and I just, I think, but at the same time, like how many other professional athletes have great careers that last a reasonable amount of time and then they retire and we just don't really ever talk or think about them again. Like if you want to be the greatest of all time, you have to give your whole life. You just do like, it's, it's, it's so hard to have it any other way. I did not think to sell bunch and I thought to sell my wife and I was like, what did you say? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> it is, it is ironic or I guess it's not ironic. Um, I hate when people use irony incorrectly and I do it all the time, but I guess Isn't it is it uh, ironic. It's go ahead. It's like, really? it's a, it's a, a pretty happy coincidence that you married a Giselle. I remember when we very first started dating, my friend, um, I'll just call John, my friend, John, who is a massive football fan was like, so you even had to have a Giselle. Like, <laughs> is John in the witness protection program? No, I just don't know if he would want me to use his full name. But John is his name. I just didn't use his last name, which I normally refer to him by. Oh, okay. I got it. Um, interesting. Well, anyway. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting discussion. I Like I said, I there's nothing in my life that I would be willing to give up everything else to have or to, to be. I am very happy with all the different facets of my life, as I think most normal people are. Um, but I do think that you could say this relationship is not toxic if you are somebody who is willing to give it all up to have this one thing. In that case, it is not a toxic relationship because it got you what you wanted. However, the behavior involved in the relationship is abusive. So the question then becomes, is abuse worth it? But I don't think it's toxic if that is literally what you have signed up for. And I still think it's toxic. Like, I, I think we, that is one area where we'll have to agree to disagree because I think no matter well, what, I think the idea of having no work-life balance, I think the idea of, well, I must be the greatest at this one thing, that is toxic. Like, you know, you're being yeah. toxic to yourself because at some point, if Andrew, you know, gets arthritis a year from now and his fucking hands are no longer able to drum the way they were, he has thrown away his life. And for what? You know what I mean? I agree. But what if it doesn't happen? What if he becomes the Charlie Parker of, you know, drumming or whatever? Well, according I don't know. to Damien Chazelle, he probably has a drug overdose in his 30s. And I'm like, yeah, doesn't sound be. that great. <laughs> could be. Well, I'm interested to hear what our listeners think. And I really, really recommend that everybody watch this movie. No matter what you think about their relationship, uh, it is 100% a movie to watch before you die. Dylan, where can the people reach out to us with their opinions? Yeah, if you want, you can reach out to us at movies to watch before you die at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us on Spotify for podcasters by using anchor.fm slash movies to watch. And I do have to announce that we are now available on like every possible podcast platform you can think of. Yeah. So if you're not yet listening to us, start. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you if you are having a pain in the ass hassle going to, you know, Google Podcasts and you normally love Stitcher, we're on Stitcher now. God damn it. Yeah. So congrats to you. Congrats to us. And uh, watch this movie. Let us know what you think. Pedro, permission to write a really long email about this one. Oh, God. Why did you say that? But yes, I want to hear what Pedro thinks. I want to hear what Scotty thinks, what Trevor thinks, what Keen thinks. I haven't heard from you in a while, Keen. Come on, man. What yeah. do you think? The fuck? Um, yeah. And also, like, my fat face, if you're out there. Um, Vitz, if you're out there. And we know that you are. Just waiting for the right moment. This is it. Yeah. This is it. This is your moment. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Dylan, it is your pick next week. Yes. And you know what? We're going to have to talk about it after the fact because 
I think I think I'm going to have to go with some lighter fare after this very heavy movie, but I'm not sure right. what just yet. Sounds good. You let me know. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I was there to push people beyond what's expected of. I believe that is an absolute necessity. But is there a line? You know, maybe you go too far and you discourage the next Charlie Parker from ever becoming Charlie Parker. No, man, no. Because the next Charlie Parker would never be discouraged. <laughs>